0: Welcome to the North Decatur Presbyterian Church Sermon Series. We're a PCUSA congregation in Decatur, Georgia. If you'd like to find out more about us, go to ndpc.org or just come by and visit. Here's this week's sermon Let us pray. Holy One, our light and our salvation. Illuminate our lives in your word today. May we see clearly what you require of us. May we be moved and transformed through Christ our Lord. Amen. Our scripture lesson comes from Micah, chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. And I'm going to read a translation that's a little different. It's from a scholar, um, Professor Dr. Will Gaffney. Hear ye what the just one says. All rise. Litigate before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear ye, mountains, the litigation of the righteous one, and you everlasting foundations of the earth. For the judge of all flesh has a lawsuit against God's people, and God will prosecute Israel personally. The next scene. The Almighty God takes the stand. My people, what have I done to you? And how have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. My people, please remember what King Balak of Moab plotted. What Balaam of Beor answered him also the righteous deeds of the faithful God, from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know them." And then things get really interesting. Israel takes the stand. With what shall I come before the incomparable and bow before God on high? Shall I come before God with burnt offerings, with year-old calves? Well, will the eternal be pleased with thousands of rams with 10,000 of rivers of oil, shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul?" And then God is over it, and so Micah comes. God has told you, children of Earth, what is good, and what does the Holy One require of you? To do justice, love faithfully, and to walk humbly with your God. This is the word of the Lord. So I'm a child of the 80s, and I loved all the children's church church greatest hits. Uh, Father Abraham, Jesus Loves Me, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. He's got the whole world in his hands. But my favorite is Ready for the Battle, do y'all know that one? So I'm going to do something I never do for the comfort of others. I never sing, but y'all are going to get this song today. I got my feet shod with my preparation of peace. Got the sword of the spirit, my shield of faith. Got my breastplate of righteousness, helmet of salvation. I put on my armor. I'm ready for the battle. Are you ready for the battle? Thank y'all. Now that was my jam, okay. and if I'm honest, that was probably my enduring image of the Christian experience in my childhood. I of course knew all the love and peace scriptures, but love I saw more than anything was a weapon in the larger Christian battle. It was a strategy to win the war for the kingdom. We had to be ready for the battle. And we did sword drills at my church. I mean, why do we call them sword drills? They were finding scriptures on command, but we called them sword drills, and I was good. I was good. I always won the sword drill competitions. I knew that being ready for the battle meant memorizing the books of Bible in order. It meant knowing key scriptures by heart, knowing all the creeds. It meant knowing that I could be called on at any time to profess and justify my faith, and I was ready. And while I have never been a fighter, I ran away from fights, physical fights, I knew I could fight with the right language, the right scriptures, the right retorts, and I could win the battle for Christ. Because a disciple always has the right strategies. And in my mind, a disciple was a soldier. Now I was a military brat, so that could account for some of my war lens. But a quick look through our old hymnal tells us that I was not alone in my Christian warfare narrative. And I hate to tell you that, I know there are some seminary professors here, but seminary did little to dispel this. It shifted it a bit. It gave me much better frameworks, much better language and theories, but I I knew not to sing the battle hymns and ready for the battle. But at its core, seminary encouraged war stories, battling competition. And war stories are a common genre in our culture. I actually just heard on NPR that there is always a war drama in the running for best picture of the Oscars, pretty much always. This year is no exception. War stories emphasize bravery, valor, honor, survival, and victory. They are about having the right weapons, right instincts, right strategies, right relationships and right decisions to bring about ultimate victory. And war stories, while heartbreaking and jarring, they give us an illusion of control. They relay the tragedy, the loss, the casualties of war, but also the triumph. And we know if the hero or the heroine is telling the story, they are still here. They did something right. So even if the metaphor of battle seems incongruent with our Christian experience, it persists. It gives us the illusion of control. We are soldiers who can do the right things, deploy the right weapons, and use the right strategy, and win on the battlefield for Christ. And if we're honest, we often forget about God in the process, very rarely looking to God for our marching orders. It was in my study this week of this scripture that I realized I was still situating this story in my own battle narrative. So this scripture now has me thinking that in 2023, I need to resolve to focus on telling fewer war stories and more walk stories. When reading this scripture, as familiar as it is to some of us, it's helpful to remember that Micah, is speaking to privileged political and religious leaders of Judah. This isn't an individual spiritual mandate as we typically think of it. It's a reminder to a community of folks who love to think that they are in control. A crowd who thinks that they can write decision and write answer themselves out of any situation. Hey, new elders who get to write govern out of new de- every decision. And Micah does start out with a battle of sorts, a courtroom drama. Law and Order SCU, Spiritual Crimes Unit. <laughs> Yahweh has indicted Israel for their lack of faithfulness. And when confronted, the leaders run down a passive-aggressive defense, a type of, what do you want from me, list to God. And God doesn't even dignify it with a response. The district attorney, Micah, comes back in and delivers a prophetic and also exasperated response. God has told you, children of Earth, what is good. And what does the Holy One require of you to do justice, to love faithfully, and to walk humbly with your God? You can almost hear Micah saying, we've been through this a million times. You know what the right thing is to do, just do it. But in some ways I get how it seems harder than that ridiculous list of burnt offerings and firstborn sacrifices listed in verse six through seven. Those are battle strategies, things they can control, things that they can provide, even though it will take strife and stress and even casualties, even loss, those things can be checked off a list. But to do justice, to love faithfully and to walk humbly with your God. As David mentioned in the ordination of our elders, there's no script for that. So much of it is out of our control, so much of it involves faith, and another term, surrender. Doing justice, loving faithfully, and walking humbly with our God is a process, a journey, a way of being, it's our story. And in that story, we have our what, our why, and our how. Doing justice is our what. Lori Lighter Bright writes, liberating justice appears again and again as the core of the Christian story in ways that are bold and ways that are subtle, always returning to the need to bridge the gap between the world as it is and the world to which God calls us. Doing justice is our direction. It is what we are called to do. It is our what. And then we have our why. In the text, the Hebrew word hesed is used. And I just heard scholar Paul Essa describe chesed as a cocktail of love, loyalty, and kindness. That's the cocktail I want. And I have come to see that hesed is our fuel, our sustenance, our energy, our reason, our our why. It's what takes us from the battlefield to the kingdom of God. It is what clarifies our call. Our activism cannot be sustained if the source of our fuel is anger, obligation, pain, or discontent. It may work for a while. These are all a great jump or a great spark, but to keep doing justice, we have to be fueled by hatred. It's our rechargeable battery, our sustaining fire. Love, loyalty, kindness, mercy, and compassion have to be the why that fertilizes our work for our movement to grow. Our culture has become addicted to contempt and outrage, but that will not fuel us forward. We need a why that liberates and inspires and motivates. Hesed is our why which leads us to walking humbly with God. That is our how. This is our daily action, our daily practice, our way of moving through the world. We can only sustain our movement for justice, fueled by love, when we walk humbly with God. While I was looking for another um, essay, I came across Alice Walker's definition of womanist again. And in one section she writes, Traditionally capable, as in, mama, I'm walking to Canada, and I'm taking you and a bunch of other slaves with me. Mama's reply, it wouldn't be the first time. And with that, I was reminded of how our perfect walk story role model is Harriet Tubman. Tubman's biographer, Sarah Bradford, wrote, sudden deliverance never seemed to strike her as at all mysterious. Her prayer was the prayer of faith, and she expected an answer. When surprise was expressed at her courage or daring or at her unexpected deliverance, she would always reply, don't I tell you, Mrs. It wasn't me, it was the Lord. She'd simply pray to God, I trust to you. I don't know where to go or what to do, but I expect you to lead me. And he always did. Tubman also said of God's voice, sometimes it stings like a smack in the face. Other time, it's soft like a dream. Fly off as soon as you woke. Tubman seemed to think of hearing God as a practice, a skill that she could cultivate and do better and better. She said, "Seem like I learned to see and hear God like some learn to read a book. I put all my attention to it. I act without question, for I can even wonder if I ever heard it all, for I can understand what it means. And there are so many accounts of Harriet Tubman changing paths and plans at at the last minute, deciding to ford a river versus going around it. And in that split-second decision, saving people and leading enslaved people to freedom on the Underground Railroad. And she always attributed these decisions to God's voice. Walking with God takes humility because it takes relationship. When we walk with God and others, we don't control the pace all the time. We don't control the path. We have to watch, we have to listen. We have to communicate to make sure we are all going in the right direction together. When I got engaged to be married, the folks of Oakhurst Presbyterian threw me and Rajan an engagement party and they asked all the attendees to bring an index card of a recipe or a piece of marital wisdom. I treasure all of those cards, but there's one I think of over and over again. It's from one of our longtime members, Jenny Merritt, and she advised me to take regular walks with my spouse. She explained that things can be sorted out side-by-side walking that can't always be expressed face-to-face. And that piece of advice has served me so well in my marriage, in parenting, and in my faith. It's not easy to walk with God. We want to run ahead. We want to improve our mile times. We want to take shortcuts. We want to just get in the car most of the time. But the work is the walk. The battle is being humble enough to just walk with God. I know that many of us have seen the horrifying footage of Tyree Nichols' murder at the hands of Memphis police officers this week. And if you're like me, you felt anger and grief and devastation and how long, Lord, upon hearing this story. And it makes sense that our first instinct is battle. It was mine. But what is required of us doesn't change. It stays the same. Even with every horrible instance of violence, oppression and injustice. We do justice. We choose love and we walk humbly with our God. And we have the opportunity to compose new walk stories together. The way we practice walking with God, the windy path, it's most often unpaved. There are no mile markers. And the only compass is God's voice and the voices of our beloved and trusted community, letting us know we're moving in the right direction. So let us write our walk stories even today I know there is the vigil for Tyree Nichols in Decatur Square at 5 p.m., sponsored by the Beacon Hill Black Alliance for Human Rights, and that's one way that we begin walking our story. So may we all put down our weapons, take off our armor, and link arms together, and move step by step in solidarity, prayer by prayer, choosing love, walking with our living God to bring about Christ's reign. Amen.